ditch in case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco with you, your host. Of course, we are brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Jam-packed episode for you guys today. I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear all this stuff. Excuse me while I produce and host at the same time. It's a quite the process. Um, I'm hopefully going to do a good job. We've got a couple of guests on the side uh, on this episode, which I'm really excited about. Uh, stay tuned for the second half of the episode as I get to talk to Alex Chappell and Patrick Corbin about his uh, Call of Duty tournament, raising money for charity across uh, the country and, and back here locally in D.C. He's got plenty of Nationals players involved in that, including Trey Turner, Ryan Zimmerman, and Juan Soto. Um, a really interesting conversation about uh, the causes that they are contributing to and how you can help uh, – uh, contribute money across the way in these difficult times. Um, and also we got his thoughts on the ongoing labor negotiations between the league and the owners and the players themselves. A great conversation with Patrick in the second half of the episode. Be sure to tune in for that. But of course, those labor conversations are the biggest topic in not just baseball, but maybe all of sports right now as the sporting world is pretty much at a pause. And with me right now via Zoom call is the best person I think to talk to about such um, negotiations is, is MassInSports.com's Mark Zuckerman. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to have you back on the podcast. Um, first and foremost, how, how are you and your fam doing? Uh, we're, we're doing fine, Bobby. They, they've been very uh, helpful in uh, helping me set up my backdrops, which are a little more interesting now. I've got some bobbleheads, a few strategically placed ones, a uh, little Seinfeld poster for those who want to squint and look at a poster of every single character who's ever been on Seinfeld and how they're connected. Uh, but listen to us because we have more to talk about. Don't pay attention <laughs> to the background. And, and but you, you said I appreciate you saying that there's no way better to talk to than me. I can think of a few people I'd rather talk to. Unfortunately, there are people who work for the union and the league and the teams, and they're probably not going to talk to us as frankly as we'd like them to right now. So hopefully, I can provide something a little bit, uh, a, a little bit of insight there. Well, for me personally, I would rather talk to you, Mark, because uh, you are, you're a good friend, a, good, a great colleague, and uh, I trust your opinion. More than most, um, and during um, and when it comes to baseball and negotiations such as this, um, yeah. But also that chart. I, I was going to ask you about the chart behind you, but it makes a lot more sense. The title being a chart about nothing. Let me see if I can get it onto the, the full screen. There we go. Chart about nothing. Um, I was I was confused about what it was. It makes more sense of what it is now. I mean, obviously, uh, the show about nothing. Um, did you have a difficult time the other day? I mean. Jerry Stiller passing away was obviously very sad for the entire world and, and the Seinfeld and, and comedy community. I know you're a big Seinfeld guy. Did you have do you have any thoughts on uh, on Jerry and his, and his life as as a comedian? Yeah, no, it it, it struck me pretty hard uh, when the news came down. And look, he's 92 years old, lived a, a wonderful life. Uh, his wife uh, and Mira, the two of them, were a great comedy team long before either of us was around. Uh, you know, I only knew him through Seinfeld, but I mean, what a great character! Number one, little known fact, he was not the original Frank Costanza. Somebody else played that part in the first episode that Frank appeared in. And then it was only later that they changed it and they wound up 
reshooting that earlier scenes from the earlier episodes. So when you watch in reruns, it has uh, Jerry Stiller in it. But what I love about him, he's such a manic character and so agitated and everything. And supposedly I never met the man, but by all accounts, I saw interviews with him, the sweetest, nicest man in the world as himself. Uh, and what a legacy he and his wife and his son, Ben Stiller, um, you know, a great character. And in honor of him, I also have the Frank Costanza Festivus pole bobblehead here. Um, so little, little stuff to keep us occupied while we're also talking about baseball. Yeah, I, I remember Jerry Stiller as uh, Ben Stiller's dad in Heavyweights. I don't forget the character's Ooh. name, but that was the first time I was like, hey, I recognize that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a sad day for all and um, what a life he lived. And uh, it's good to hear, I, I, for me personally, I love when I hear about you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes. Like I like to hear, see when people who are beloved on screen, they're also the same, if not better person off the screen. And they're just a joy to be around. So it was good to hear. Um, obviously rest in peace, Jerry Stiller. So that was a, a sad uh, day uh, for people everywhere in comedy. Um, okay. So obviously, like I said before, big news uh, over this coming, I guess the past weekend and the coming in the last couple of days. And obviously in the coming weeks, is uh, the proposal by baseball to start the 2020 season. Um, the rough, dead, rough details is that they're aiming to restart spring training 2.0 um, mid-June and hopefully be playing regular season games by the beginning of July. Mark, obviously you are in t um, keeping a tab on all of this information as it's coming out and, and the news. What are just your uh, um, original thoughts and your first thoughts about how the these negotiations are going to go and proceed, and and if we'll see a season, a baseball season in twenty twenty. Yeah, well, let's start with the the basic thing here, which is they've got a plan. That's good. That's a good thing that they have come up with a, a formal plan after you know a month or so of throwing different ideas out there. Maybe we're all going to go to Arizona and live in a bubble. Now maybe we'll separate Arizona and Florida. Well, now maybe we'll have a few pods throughout the country. No, they have a plan that involves everybody playing in their home cities and their home parks without fans uh, and also would then to limit the travel would have you only play in your division and then in your same geographic division from the other league. So the nationals would only play the NL East and the AL East to help reduce the travel. So that's good. I like the fact that they have a plan. Now that said, there are a lot of obstacles that have to be overcome from here on May uh, 13th that we're on to actually having a season sometime in early July. I'd argue there's really three things that have to be figured out. Number one is just on a countrywide and global wide scale, is the country in a position to be able to have sporting events like that? We're not there yet. Now things are starting to open up. There are some encouraging signs, but if the numbers of people contracting the virus, if the number of deaths uh, don't you know dramatically decrease between now and then it's going to be a hard sell I think to the general public to try to say that yeah it's a good time to be gathering all these people together and playing baseball because this is a complicated thing it's not as simple as just saying hey we're going to have games the guys will show up and they'll play there's a lot more to it which then brings me to the second point and the third point which go hand in hand is that all we have right now is an MLB proposal and the players have to sign off on it. And the early indications are that the players have some concerns and rightfully so. And there's really two separate entities now that we can put these concerns in. One is financial. What they agreed to at the end of March was that the players would be paid a prorated portion of what their salaries already were gonna be. So 
if it's an 81 game season, which is roughly about what they're talking about, the deal that was already in place would say that the players would get half their salary for the year. Sounds fair. That sounds like a right thing. The problem is the owners are now saying, well, hang on a second. If there are no fans in the stands, we're not bringing in the same revenue we would even over a normal 81 game season. Therefore, we're going to ask you to take less in all likelihood and say, let's just sp split whatever revenues we get, split them 50-50 across the board. On the first hand, that sounds kind of fair. But if you're the player, you're saying, no, hang on, we already agreed to something. Uh, why should this be tied to the revenues? It's never been tied to the revenues before. And what the first indication from Tony Clark, the union uh, executive director was, hang on, this is the equivalent of a salary cap. We have never supported a salary cap. You're not going to try to sneak one in on us now. This is a really complicated issue, and there's a lot of different viewpoints on it. I'm not going to get into who's right or who's wrong. All I'm going to say is this. If ultimately it's deemed that it's safe enough for there to be baseball, and people want it, and there's a proposal that the, the, they can agree on as far as how the games are played and where they're played and everything else, if this thing falls apart over money, it's not going to be well-received by anybody outside of those two organizations. And I think this is where they need to keep this in mind. There's a labor argument to this, but there's a PR argument to it as well. They're not going to win the PR argument if they're squabbling over literally millions of dollars. You can argue whether that's fair or not, that's fine. But right now at this time in this country, that's not going to fly with people. And so I think the larger issue, and you have heard some players talk about it, including Sean Doolittle, is about the health and safety of those players and all the people they come in contact with. Remember, it's not just the players who are subjecting themselves to this. It's coaches, it's training staff, it's groundskeepers, it's stadium staff, it's media, hopefully, it's bus drivers, it's food service people, everybody that's coming into contact to make all this possible. We need to know and the players need to know that everybody is going to be safe, that there's a method and a plan for testing, that there is a plan for if somebody tests positive, what's going to happen, and to feel reasonably confident that they're not putting their own lives or their families' lives at risk. And so I hope that that is more of the discussion of what goes on than the financial side of it, because really in the bigger picture, um, that's what needs to be resolved. That's more important. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting um, late yesterday evening, Tuesday evening, uh, when reports were coming out that the conversation has been come to a close for that day, that they mostly talked about the health concerns, which is obviously the first and foremost concern that should be discussed. Um, and they didn't even really touch on the financial side of the uh, of the equation. And I think that's an important little nugget that come out of those those talks in that they are focusing on the health of everybody. And to me, Mark, that is what is the biggest obstacle for all of this to restart a season is that it's not just the 1,200 players. It is the players. It is the coaches. It is the training staff. It is all the people you mentioned. I mean, I can, we could talk for like 10 minutes just about the people this effect. It's just a huge domino effect of pool of people that it's going to keep spreading if you start the season. And I think that is what Sean Doodle, you mentioned Sean Doodle. I think that's what he was referring to in those long threads of tweets. It's, it's not just us. Yes, we're concerned about ourselves and our families, but it's not just the players and the coaches and the owners that are involved in this. There are so many people, like you mentioned, all the staff at the stadium, the bus drivers, the hotel staff, everything, they're going to be affected. And, and these crazy trying times, all it takes is one. You know, It just takes one person to test positive, and then everyone's at risk. And, you know, I understand the the concept, the idea of, hey, 
these are difficult times for everybody. We should be, as athletes, professional athletes, we provide a form of entertainment and escape. That's the best part about sports, in my opinion, is that it's an escape. The drama they bring is, is, a, is a new drama every day. You can kind of get away from the realities of life and enjoy a ball game, a sporting event, wherever it may be, every single day. And I get that I, that argument from the some player standpoint of hey, we we owe these people um, some sort of entertainment, something to distract them during these difficult times. But at the same time, it's not worth the risk for the players, for everyone involved. You mentioned the media that includes you and I, and that is that is kind of a scary thought that. We might be at ballpark soon, and and me personally, I'm not quite comfortable doing that uh, at this point in time. I know we're talking about a month plus down the line, but it is kind of a difficult thought. I, what are your what to you? What is the biggest obstacle of the of the three or plus that you just mentioned? What's the biggest one? Not that one's right or wrong, but what's the biggest one that they have to kind of uh, hurdle right here in the coming weeks? I think it's just the logistics of it all. You know it we take for granted what a normal baseball season is like and how many people are involved and the travel that's involved, uh, just the, the whole mechanism of it. And I think we're starting to realize just how much is involved in it. It's not just saying, Hey, we're going to go play a ball game today. Uh, there is a lot, a lot more to it than that. And really you could probably apply this to so many other things in our normal lives that we've now had to shut down. Uh, and so while the, country is just now beginning to open a few things up here and there. And by the way, we don't know what the effect of that's going to be. You know, a month from now, there could be a brand new spike because of these openings. If things haven't been under control enough and all of a sudden things are being shut down again and then forget about it, the baseball is not going to happen at all. So there's just logistically a lot of stuff that has to be figured out uh, and, and, and really, I think what they have to make sure they have are all these contingency plans, because what happens when, and, and the key word here is when, not if, somebody tests positive. Statistics, the odds say it's going to happen to somebody somewhere along the way. It's too prevalent around society. And when you put that many people together, and I get it, you're, you're social distancing, you're doing things to try to, to prevent it, but it's going to happen to somebody. Uh, hopefully it's it's somebody who doesn't then have major symptoms and that they you know heal from it quickly and everything's fine. But what are the protocols? Do you shut down that team? Do you just quarantine that person? Are you shutting down the whole season if this happens? So I, I, to me, I think that's the biggest thing is they need to figure out how do they deal with you know, what we think of as unknowns. It's not just as simple as saying, okay, we've got everything figured out. We're ready to start the season. Let's go. There are going to be problems along the way things are going to happen along the way. And so I want to know what is their plan for dealing with things. And let's hope that they are exploring every contingency and making sure that there is a plan uh, and that they're not just going to fly by the seat of their pants when it happens. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it also ties, I mean, I think I, my, my biggest concern will be tying into that too. It goes along with all the people that it affects. And then also um, just the logistics of it all. I mean, it's, you know, the idea of them all playing in one location seemed fine, I guess, but just not logistically possible. Then the idea of them all playing in their spring training ballparks, okay, a little bit better, but still tough logistic-wise. The players are going to probably be at, want to be at home more than anything, not be secluded to Florida or Arizona or one or the other um, during for the next three or four months just to play ball, uh, especially with fans. I keep coming back to this reference. I mean, we talked to... Uh, the Zimmermans on a Zoom call just a couple weeks ago, 
And, you know, Ryan didn't seem too confident that or too sure of himself that he would want to go play, um, you know, a father of two small children and one more on the way, a pregnant wife at home. And, and Heather was like, I don't feel comfortable with him going to play. I mean, it's tough. You know, we have our family to think about. We have small kids at home. You know, what if someone, God forbid, he gets sick? What if someone in the clubhouse gets sick or the opposing team? And like I said, all it takes is one. Like you said, it's not a matter of if, it's when. The, the numbers just add up to that it's going to happen. A major league baseball player is going to get sick. Uh, we've seen a couple of athletes throughout the sporting world already get sick, and they're not even in season. Um, talking about like Vaughn Miller and Sean Payton in the NFL. It, it is just a matter of when, not if. So I think there are way too many... Way too many logistical obstacles to to get across to get to get over, and then you also think about the, the testing. I mean, I I personally don't think that we should. I, I listen to the news every single night. This country is struggling to get testing for this thing. There's yeah. no vaccine yet. I I just don't see how ethical it is, and I think Sean Doodle touched on this too. How ethical, and his wife Aaron on Twitter as well. How ethical it is to save the a small portion of tests that we already have and save a for athletes just for the sake of playing baseball. Again, I understand the entertainment factor that they're bringing to this country and people who who miss baseball and who want to see baseball being played, but I, I just don't see how that is worth it when there are other people in this country who are sick who need those testing, like actual <laughs> workers who need to be at work right now to get this country moving forward. Uh, to me, it just seems a little unethical to save a small portion of testing just for baseball players just for the sake of playing. This is a really delicate situation. And if MLB proceeds with it, and if they're first ahead of the other leagues, which at the moment it looks like that would probably be the case, they have to tread very carefully here. Yes, there are benefits to the TV ratings are probably going to be huge. People would love to have uh, baseball and live sporting events to watch. But this has to be done in a way that does not alienate the general public or make people out there feel like, uh, this is frivolous or risking other people's lives for the sake of entertainment. Um, it's absolutely a big part of this. And it's why I said the first and foremost thing about all this is what is the state of the country as a whole come you know, a month from now, potentially for spring training and about what, seven weeks from now or so for when a season would start. If the country as a whole is not in a better position than it is now, I don't see how they can proceed with a baseball season. One other point I want to make here is um, you talk about Ryan Zimmerman and his family, and it's a great example of how in their specific case, there are going to be concerns that maybe other players may not have. And we tend to think of the players as this one big, you know, entity. And it's not, it's 1200 individual people who are at different stages of their career, different stages, financially, different stages uh, in their families, different stages uh, where they live. We we haven't talked about foreign players who've gone home uh, and what that's going to require for them to come back to the U.S. and the safety of all that. There's a lot involved there, and there's going to be a lot of differing opinions among them all, and I hope that they're all taken into consideration uh, before there is a a final decision on all this. And But it it does show you how it's going to be difficult uh, for the union to speak as one voice here because it isn't one voice. It's a lot of voices that all are going to have different priorities right now. Yeah, that's a great point, too. And then the other point that you kind of touched on right there is that baseball would be the first sport to uh, kind of jumpstart and start playing during all of this. To me, Mark, I don't see the point in starting a season if you're not going to finish it. If if there's a possibility, like like we talked about 
just a couple minutes ago, you know, it's gonna all it takes is one. It's gonna happen. I think it's a bad one. I think it's a bad PR look for baseball if they play and then a couple players get sick. At that point, to me, you have to shut it down immediately. I think um, it's just not worth the risk. But then there's no point, and then to tie that back in, there's no point in starting if you kind of expect you're going to have to deal with sick players and maybe have to shut the whole season down anyways. I look at other leagues like the NBA and the NHL. It kind of makes sense for them to try to finish their seasons. They're so close to the playoffs, and if they really had to, they could just start from the playoffs right now. They played a majority of their seasons already. Baseball hasn't even started the regular season yet. I know it's been uh, countless years since baseball has, I don't think they've ever missed a season, even during strike shortened seasons. No, not, not a full season. No. And even no. they've, they've survived world wars, other wars, stuff like that. They've played on, but I, in this pandemic, this public health crisis, I just don't see the risk or the point in starting a season. If you're expecting to, to have to come to a stop um, down somewhere down the line. No, it's a fair point. It's something that has to be taken into consideration, but I think what the sense I've gotten um, is that there's an, an understanding that or hope that uh, even if one or two individuals tested positive, that there would be a way to then isolate them, quarantine them, that the hope would be it would not then spread to everyone else. Uh, and that, you know, for the most part, these are young and healthy individuals. But like we've been talking about, it's not just the players, all the other people that come in contact with um, who may be at risk. There are players who are at risk who have medical conditions, players, families, uh, who, uh, family members who have risk. So uh, I hope that part of all this is that there is an option or an ability for any player who is not comfortable participating to be able to do so without forfeiting their contract, without um, you know being the subject of scorn within the industry and outside. Um, I hope that they're taking that into consideration. You know, the, the, the simple answer to say, okay, what's the safest way to do this is not to have a season, to wait until there's a vaccine until the world is back to normal. Now, is that a practical solution? I don't know. Consider this, baseball is a $10 billion industry. And, and I know I said that the finances are not as important as the health and safety, and that is true. But if they miss an entire season, there are going to be long lasting ramifications for the entire industry. It won't just be as simple as saying, okay, we start up again next year, everything's back to normal. There are going to be teams that are able to weather the storm a little better than others. Some are not going to, some are going to be in serious financial trouble. Um, maybe that's not our number one concern right now, but I, I do think it's a point um, that should be made and that it's part of what the motivation is for going ahead and proceeding um, with a season. But there has to be a plan, like you said, that when they start this thing of, of having a way to make sure they can continue it and finish it uh, because it's a terrible look for them. Uh, and I think it's interesting that the other leagues are kind of sitting back and maybe letting baseball be the, the guinea pigs here to see how it goes before they decide how to proceed. Now, you know, the NBA, the NHL, they can afford to wait a little longer they only have, you know, maybe two months left to play with a postseason, whereas baseball and they play indoors and they play indoors. And, and you know, yeah, so they can go into, you know, next fall if they need to. Baseball is a little more compressed window. And I feel personally like that 80 game mark is about the bare minimum of what you can play and have it be a real season or something that resembles a real season. You go be, you know, fewer than that. It's going to be tough to sell. And so just from a calendar standpoint. 
early to mid-July is about as late as they can go. I don't know they can wait till August or beyond to try to start something and have it, you know, be a real season and have it not affect the off season and next season. Um, you know, you can't have a World Series in in January and then pitchers and catchers report in February. So it's complicated. So I under there's a lot of motivating factors to get it done. Um, they just have to make sure that they have considered all the possibilities and what needs to be done uh, to make sure that once they start, they don't have to stop. Well, then let's switch gears a little bit because this has sounded pretty pessimistic up to this point on this episode. <laughs> but we don't want to be complete pessimists. We want to have some optimism. Let's just say that they are going to play. You mentioned in your article from Tuesday morning uh, talking about the proposed plan that the one positive thing that they have going for them, them being the league and the owners and the Players Association, is time. They do have a couple of weeks. They have about a month uh, to work this stuff out before their targeted restart date in mid-June. Um, what other positive aspects do you see maybe in terms of time, in terms of public health, and maybe in terms of their plan moving forward if they were able to get off and, and start the season? What positive aspects do you see are playing in their favor? Yeah, I think the fact that they do now have a formal plan and that they are negotiating it now is a very positive sign. If this waited any longer, now you're dealing with a more compressed window. So they have that time, like you said, about a month to negotiate this and make sure they're touching all their bases and make sure that everybody's on the same page. And I, I, I do think ultimately that the two sides recognize that there's going to be common ground, that there's more to be gained by finding a compromise here in which both sides have to lose something that they want uh, as opposed to letting a whole the whole thing fall apart over money or any other issue. So I, I think they will ultimately come together and agree on something. Uh, and then what that, that month also does is it allows them to see what's going on in the rest of the world. How is the slow reopening in certain states working? Is it showing a positive sign uh, or negative signs, in which case they're going to have to adjust? Uh, so I think it's that. But, you know, I, you're right that we kind of sound pessimistic. We're pointing out all these reasons for what could go wrong. Let's talk about what could go right. If it works, if they're able to do this, and if baseball is able to be at the forefront of this before the other leagues, you're going to have tremendous interest in the game. I think there's an opportunity for the sport to showcase itself to a mass audience in a way that it never has before. Uh, the star players, the teams, um, and a way to try to use this for for public good. Maybe there is a way on all the broadcasts to bring more attention to issues that are going on, to raise money. Uh, you know, Maybe some of this money that they're fighting over can actually be used to give to the public and those who need it the most. Um, I would hope that a lot of this can be thought of as a good positive thing that helps bring people together. I go back, it, it's a while, it's a very different scenario than what this is. But my first year covering baseball was 2001. And the 9-11 tax put an abrupt halt to everything. It was only one week before they came back. So very different than now. But when they came back and the rest of that season and that postseason, it did a lot of good for a lot of people. And baseball was a unifying thing for the country. Uh, I think a lot of people who were around back then are looking at this as an opportunity to do something similar. And the hope would be that as long as everything is done safely, and that they've got a good plan for how to deal with it, that this can be a good and positive thing and bring a lot of smiles to a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point. And I think we've seen baseball 
like you mentioned in 2011 or 2001, uh, be uh, a saving grace for the country and for people uh, who are going through a difficult time, much like this time. All right, real quick, before we wrap up right here, Mark, I got to get your thoughts because I have have quite a few on the the idea of the structure, the the way they're going to structure the divisions, you know, or the schedule, I should say, and that it's all going to be geographically based. So the NL East will be playing the NL East teams, their rivals within their division, and then the AL East teams, I think that is, if we're if we're combining each league's geographical division, I think the Easts might be the most difficult region, the most difficult bracket, if you will, um, in all of baseball because you have the defending World Series champion uh, Nationals, you have the NL East champion Braves, uh, the Phillies are supposed to be better, the Mets, even though they've already gone through some injuries before the season started, they're supposed to be a little bit better. Um, and then you look to the American League, uh, the Red Sox are two uh, seasons removed from a World Series championship. They have some injuries themselves. Um, and then, of course, the Yankees were just a game or two away from the world, reaching the World Series last year. And they're looking to be – they added Garrett Cole in the offseason. And, of course, the Rays made the playoffs last year as well. Toronto should be on the upswing. We know about Baltimore, but, you know, they're not an easy out the way Brandon Hyde has their club playing at times. H- how do you see – if this were to go down, how do you see the Easts shaking out? I think on paper, you're right that the East looks uh, tougher. Having said that, that may be a little East Coast bias on our part. Yeah, it's true. Thinking <laughs> that. And and one thing I'd point out, I mean, look, the Yankees are a powerhouse. We know that. The Rays are really good. The Red Sox are in a down cycle. Yeah. At least that's what, that's what it looks like it's going to be for them. We don't know exactly, um, but it looks like they're in a down cycle. We know the Orioles are rebuilding and the Blue Jays, um, I don't feel like I haven't followed them a lot, but I don't feel like people were touting them as a, a team that was ready to contend this year. They're like a step or two ahead of the Orioles and maybe going to take a, a step forward again this year. Okay. So there's that. I think the NL East, obviously the Nats and the Braves, you know, are going to be good. The Phillies you think are going to be good. You don't know for sure. Never the know. Mets you think have the potential to be good. I actually think the Marlins are going to be better this year. They're not ready to contend, but there is a lot of young talent there. So I, I think on paper, you're probably right, but I think sometimes we might overlook the West. Um, if you have the Astros and the Dodgers playing each other a lot, the A's we know are good. The Angels are hoping to be better with Anthony Rendon along with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Albert Pujols. Uh, the Rangers and Mariners maybe not as much. The Diamondbacks, I think they feel like they're getting to be good. The Padres, I think, have some high hopes. So I, it would be interesting to see how that all played out. Um, certainly if you're the Nationals, they were supposed to play the AL West this year and only, you know, three games against most teams. So if you trade that for, let's say, six or 10 or even 12 games against AL East opponents, it could make it a little tougher. You're right. Um, but I, I'm i kind of curious. I'm interested to see how that all plays out if and when it does happen. And I think one of the fun things, I think it's okay for baseball to say, hey, this year's going to be different. You know, I'm not a DH fan in general, but I'm okay with it for this year that they're talking about doing it. The schedule being different, the rosters being bigger, um, you know, because of maybe fewer off days and double headed scheduled double headers and things like that. I'm fine with that. We're going to look at this season forever as totally different. You can't compare 2020 to any other season. The playoffs are going to be expanded in all likelihood. So I'm okay with that, uh, how it all works out. I'm not so much worried about the fairness of the competition as much as how can they uh, safely play something that resembles a season. And then let's see whatever the results end up being from that. Right. And I agree. I think obviously safety is first, but 
and, and not concerned about the fairness, but I do want to get your thoughts. Do you think any of those aspects of the restructured season, meaning the division schedule or the expanded playoffs, would any of those benefit the Nationals if they were to play this year? I think there's a few things that could help them. Yeah. Um, I think they're actually pretty well positioned because of their depth to deal with a few things. If there are fewer off days and if teams have the, you know, we don't know how it's going to work out exactly, but if teams have the need for a sixth starting pitcher, I think the Nats are in pretty good position. Joe Ross and Austin vote. If everybody's healthy, uh, that they have that. I think their catching situation uh, helps them by having two bona fide starting catchers in Gomes and Suzuki. And if you have an expanded roster and probably carry a third catcher, they have Wellington Castillo, uh, who was in camp on a minor league deal. He probably wasn't going to make the team under normal circumstances. He could make the team under this situation, and now that could benefit you. I think they're actually well positioned to have a DH because of a lot of the veteran hitters they have. Uh, we saw Davey Martinez have to shuffle his lineup on a daily basis. Uh, so if everybody is healthy, I think that could be something that benefits them and gives guys a chance to play without, you know, as much wear and tear on their bodies. Uh, so they, they may actually come out of that better than a lot of teams because of the depth they have and specifically at some of the positions that, that may be tested more in the kind of season that we're talking about. I would think I would tend to agree with you. All great points. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate the time. Great conversation. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon and maybe with some new news to talk about in hopes of playing a 2020 baseball season. Sounds good. Hopefully people didn't spend the whole time just trying to figure out who all the characters are. On the <laughs> I know I got distracted a couple of times. I can see the top four, obviously, <laughs> um, but the other ones, I'm not much of a Seinfeld guy like as you are uh, a little bit before my time, before I got into watching TV. I know it's on Hulu or it's going to be on that Peacock streaming service by NBC in this summer. So maybe I'll jump on that train if we're quarantined a little longer and uh, try to catch up with the, with the Seinfeld knowledge that you have. It is worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. All right. At Mark Zuckerman on Twitter, be sure to give him a follow and follow all his uh, reports and stories on MassInSports.com. Mark, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, Bobby. All right. Well, that is not it for the Mass on All Access podcast. We have uh, plenty of else coming. Uh, we have, like I said before, we have a conversation with uh, Patrick Corbin and uh, Alex Chapel in the bag uh, coming up. Patrick Corbin is hosting a, a, a uh, Call of Duty Warzone Battle Royale tournament this Saturday with a bunch of NAS players. He talked about that with me and Alex for a real bit. I want to remind you that you can catch the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Hopefully you're also watching along on the Mass and Nationals Facebook or YouTube page or the Twitter account. And, of course, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanc on Twitter as well. The Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Stay tuned. Alex Chapel and Patrick Corman coming up right after this break. Hey, Nats fans. Bobby Blanco here from the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope that we're giving you enough baseball content during these difficult times. Want to let you know where else you can get your Nationals fill online and on TV, starting with Mark Zuckerman and Byron Kerr's coverage of the Nationals on MassInSports.com. Catch their catcher's coverage this week as Mark takes a look at the state of the Nationals roster at the catcher's position and if Jan Gomes can take a step forward this year for the ball club. Plus, he has information on the Nationals' ticket refund policy heading into this year. Then Byron is taking a deep dive into the catching prospects in the Nats' farm system. He caught up with catching coordinator Michael Barrett on who could be the Nationals' catcher of the future. And we have a great lineup of Nationals' classics this week on Masson. 
Tune in tonight, Wednesday night, at 7 for last year's May 24th comeback victory over the Marlins. Of course, starting the Nationals' run to the World Series championship after a 1931 start to the season. And then Friday night at 7, it's the can't-miss black eye game in which Max Scherzer dominates the rival Phillies after suffering a broken nose and black eyes. You won't want to miss those Nationals classics and much more this week on Masson. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast, Bobby Blanco here with you, joined by two very special guests via Zoom. First is Alex Chappell, Ma- uh, Masson's on-field reporter for the Nationals. Alex, thanks so much for joining me again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, coming to you from my dining room. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is now, what, twice in a couple of weeks that we've had you on, so glad to see you again. And we, of course, are joined by another very special guest, national starting pitcher Patrick Corbin. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to get you on because uh, you are, of course, having – um, a Call of Duty Warzone charity tournament uh, this weekend. We wanted to talk to you about that. But first, how are you? How's the family? How's this quarantine life uh, treating you guys? Uh, I think we're in the same boat as a lot of people, just trying to um, get things back to normal as quickly as possible. We're doing the best we can here, just staying at home, um, trying to stay safe and um, Try, trying to stay in shape as well. Um, that's tough being at your house. So just trying to find different ways to do that. And um, hopefully we can get back on the field soon. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have an important question for you. Do you still let your wife cut your hair? Because I don't know if you can tell, my hair is getting pretty long during all of this. And I'm wondering if I should take the gamble and let my girlfriend cut it. Yeah, I think you got to do it. I've, this is the, my second cut by uh, second. my wife. So um it looks better a couple of days after when it starts growing back in, but um, it's it's a little scary when she when she first pulled out the clippers, tried uh, uh, buzzing it up. I don't, we're not very good at at fading it, so um, over time it grows back. So um, she's been getting some practice. All right, well, if you say so, I'll, I'll, I might give it a shot. Um, okay, well, so you and uh, the Red Sox, Matt Barnes, are hosting a Call of Duty Warzone Charity Royale tournament this Saturday, May 16th, from noon to 3 on Twitch. Um, just first and foremost, how did this come about? How did you and Matt kind of set this up, and uh, what was the kind of thought process behind all of this uh, this tournament? Yeah, just trying to find ways to, to help some people out, raise some money, um, do it a fun way. And I know a lot of people are stuck at home, so this is something everybody can do and was able to reach out to some players. We have some, um, some big time names that are, that are going to participate. And, um, a lot of these guys like to play the game and they're at home. So why not have a way for fans to, to have a chance to play with some of their favorite players or, um, some teams that they like. So, um, hopefully we can raise, raise a bunch of money. There's a lot of good charities out there that, that these players, uh, like to help. So just looking, looking forward to this and, um, just, it'll be fun. Patrick, you bring up that you have a lot of big name players and a lot of big name nationals players, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, obviously yourself and Trey Turner, but we want to know who is the best gamer on the nationals. Trey is by far that I know. Um, he's, He's built his computer. Um, I play on an Xbox, so um, <clears throat> he's he's a lot better than I am. I enjoy the game. He's been gaming his whole life, so I'm, I'm new to it. But um, I know Soto. I played with him quite a bit um, online. So it's uh, it's a fun way to 
um, spend your time during this when, when you're at home. So, um, but I think Trey's got the, the top end. Um, I'm not sure on some of these other players. I know um, I FaceTime Zim to try to help him set up his Xbox and get him going and played a couple of games with him. So um, it's going to be fun. So the way the tournament is set up is that fans are able to bid um, online to join two players. So it'll be two teams of four, two players and two fans um, in this tournament. And then um, the winnings will be kind of divided out between whoever uh, comes on top and second and third and fourth place. It goes to charity. Um, Pat, who is the um, – well, first of all, do you know who your teammate is in, in the tournament, the, the player you're teaming up with? Are you going to team up with Trey or are you going to try to take him down since he is the best player? So the way the way we did it was there's 16 players. They're all on their own team. They're allowed to bring um, a guest or a friend with them. Um, I was going to have my brother play a little bit, but I uh, uh, reached out to Max yesterday. I might get a little appearance by him. So, um, so yeah, all, all everybody here is going to be able to to have somebody that they know to to, to join them and um, have two fans and. Um, I think it's just a, a neat way for, for fans to reach out to, to players that they, they watch all the time on TV and they're not able to do right now and watch baseball. So um, to have an opportunity to play some video games with them seems pretty cool. It's also really cool. You have seven different charities that this tournament will benefit. You know, All of your teammates, you all have been supporting each other and your different charities and philanthropic initiatives. But to be able to use your platform, especially during this time, Patrick, just how important is that to you guys? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Nationals do such a great job in, in, the, in the players um, reaching out to people in need. And um, we had the, the Zoom call for Game 7 and raised a lot of money for Zimmerman's charity. And um, I think this is just another way to, to do the same. And I think we're always looking to, to help, um, to reach, reach out to our fans. Um, just give them a couple moments that to relax and have some fun and uh, maybe forget about some of the, the struggles or thing that are going, things that are going on in their life right now. Yeah, some of those charities include No Kid Hungry, Pros for Heroes, Homers for Heroes. Um, and just because you bid and you don't get to play doesn't mean you can't continue to uh, donate to some of these great causes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, all fans have to do is just log on to the Twitch uh, channel and just watch you guys and they'll be able to continue to uh, make donations towards some of these great charities. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I'm going to try to live stream. I've never done it before. So um, I don't know if I'll have many viewers watching me. I'm not, not the best, but hopefully Trey gets a bump from some of these other guys. And um, it's just fun to, to, to be able to watch somebody play and kind of critique them a little bit, but um, I'm new to, to watching Twitch and watching some of these gamers who are very good. So um, the other day I got to play with uh, Tim the Tapman, who's got a bunch of followers. So um, got a little practice in. No, it's cool. And you're bringing in a different community, a different fan base by using Twitch. So it should be really fun. We can't wait to tune in on Saturday. Um, again, it's from 12 to 3, the live stream. But also want to ask you, Patrick, because recently we saw on Twitter that Jeff McKay, he's the chairman of the Fairfax Board of Supervisors. You worked with him. You teamed up to donate 500 masks to help first responders, um, Fairfax Health. How did that partnership come about? You know, what launched that that idea for you? Yeah, just some other ways to, to try to help out. And obviously these masks have been um, 
pretty pretty hard for some of these um, pe- people to get first responders to get things like that. So um, I just thought it was a good opportunity just to reach out, say thank you for all the hard work that they've been doing during these tough times, and um, hopefully it, it it helps helps them out a little bit to to move forward and and. Um, Hopefully they um, come out and see us whenever we get back on the field. Well, speaking of which, obviously in the baseball world right now, the big news is the negotiations between uh, the league, the owners, and the Players Association. Before we let you go, just quick thoughts on how you think the season is progressing, your your um, your thoughts on possibly starting up in, in mid-June or, and games starting in as early as July. Just how do you foresee um, this kind of process of starting the 2020 season uh, continuing? Yeah, I know. I know safety is obviously the, the the most important thing here. So um, to to figure all that is going to be pretty complicated. So hopefully they can um, get that done and, and find a way to get us out there and be safe. And um, I know everyone, the fans miss baseball. We miss playing. Um, I think we need something on TV. We need, we miss. I think everyone misses their sports. So. I'm, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I know all these players are at home trying to stay in shape. They're throwing, um, throwing bullpens, trying to, to, to get ready whenever this does happen. Right. Yeah. We all hope to see you guys back at the ballpark soon. Uh, for more information on Patrick's um, War Zone Battle Royale tournament this Saturday, give him a follow on Twitter at Patrick Corbin 46. All the information for how to bid to play in the tournament and how to uh, donate to other charities is all located on his Twitter account. And uh, be sure to tune in on Twitch on Saturday from noon to 3 to see uh, maybe someone can take down Trey Turner. Hopefully Patrick and Max can get it done. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. Stay safe and hope to see you soon. All righty. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Mats on All Access podcast, of course, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about student-athletes and programs today. Special shout-out to Mark Zuckerman, Alex Chapel, and Patrick Corbin for joining me this week. And also thank you to Paul Mancano and Hannah Broder behind the scenes. Be sure to check out the Mats on All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Give us a follow, subscription, let us know what you think about this week's episode. You can also tune in on the Mass Nationals Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts for live podcasts every week, every Wednesday. We're bringing you new content throughout this quarantine episode. I'm Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. You can tweet me for all your uh, podcast questions, comments, and reviews. I love to hear from fans across the time. Thank again to everyone who participated and for listening, and we'll catch you next week.